is Community Matters, a podcast that brings you conversations that are critical to managing and governing condos, cooperatives, and homeowner associations. I'm your host, Tony Campisi, Executive Director of the Keystone Chapter of Community Associations Institute. Tune in each episode for the insights and information that are key to inspiring professionalism, effective leadership, and responsible citizenship, ideals reflected in community associations that are preferred places to call home. Today, I'm speaking with Joe DePompio, president of Structural Workshop, a structural engineering and building consulting firm founded in 2004. Our topic today is building facade issues. More specifically, what might cause facade issues in buildings, conducting a facade inspection and repairs, as well as mandatory regulations and standards that are in place for facade inspections. Before we get to today's topic, here's a brief word from our sponsor, Hoffman HOA Law. I'm Ed Hoffman with Hoffman Law, LLC. Hoffman Law LLC is a recognized leader in community association law. We're known for our responsiveness, legal acumen, leadership in the association industry, and our unwavering focus and commitment to education. You can learn more about us at our website, hoffmanhoalaw.com. Hoffman Law LLC is proud to sponsor this episode of the Community Matters podcast. Joe, welcome to Community Matters Podcast, and please tell our listeners a little about yourself and Structural Workshop. Sure. Thank you for having me. Um, Structural Workshop is about to celebrate its 20th uh, year in business. I I founded the company in uh, February of 2004, and um, we now have three offices. Our headquarters is in New Jersey. We have an office in Easton, Pennsylvania, and one in Florida that we recently opened. And we provide a full range of structural engineering services for architects, developers, uh, condo boards, and uh, building management, and um, also forensic engineering for attorneys. Great. So we are talking about facades today. Tell me, what are the most common causes of facade issues in buildings? Uh, Well, the the one common denominator that, that is involved in most facade issues is water. Uh, now, how that gets in, there certainly can be other issues. There can be problems that allow the water to get in. There could be problems with the construction. There could be problems with it as it ages. Um, there could just be normal wear and tear or lack of maintenance. But uh, the the big issue is generally water. And when water gets in, it can damage, rust, and corrode uh, metal and wood components. It can freeze and thaw and damage the masonry further, widening cracks more, allowing more water to come in. You can have salt mixed in with water in in coastal environments or parking garage situations where you have salt from road tires. Uh, but, But in general, Water causes damage, water causes corrosion, water can cause mold uh, and other environmental hazards that are secondary to the actual structural damage. Um, So there's a lot of different causes and reasons, but almost all of them involve water. And this is not a, this is not a high rise issue, mid rise issue. This can happen in any kind of building, correct? Even a uh, single correct. family home. 
Correct. Yes. Uh, I mean, generally, the the types of siding and and building envelopes you have in a single family home or a town home, you typically have wood construction with um, you know some sort of siding. Um, so that reacts a little differently to uh, to water and and water issues. Where, where in a bigger building, you might have a cavity wall with weep holes, and and you know it's intended for water and condensation to occur in that wall, but it's supposed to drain. Um, you know, and you can have failure of the drainage system, um, and the building materials are, are often steel and other things that are can rust, which you don't really have in a single family home, but the the um, propensity to have issues is is there no matter what it is, whether it's a single story townhouse, clubhouse for a community, or it's a thirty story uh, you know high rise condo building. Right. Okay. So so inspections can help, I guess, prevent or at least uncover these situations early. How often should a building's facade be inspected and repaired? This is this is something that has always been an issue prior to what happened in, in Florida and, and now is a little more in the forefront, but, uh, you know, facade issues can be expensive and facade inspections and investigations can reveal those expensive problems. And, and a lot of times boards take a, it's, it's almost like you don't want to go to the doctor because you don't want to hear what they're going to tell you. You're worried you're sick. So um, that's always, always been an issue. And, and the uh, you know now there's starting to be regulations and things that are are kind of forcing people to do things. But the the you know you always should have a baseline inspection. Uh, you know if if the building is is newly constructed, you should talk with an engineer within a couple of years in terms of what type of inspection protocol you should have going forward. If it's an older building, you should have it now. Um, you know, many times there's nothing wrong. And many times you will tell you, it, you know, five years, 10 years, don't worry about it. Um, other other times, yes, there is a problem where you're going to warrant further investigation, but it's it's really going to be dependent on the, the type of construction, the age of the building, the condition of it. Is, is there indications of cracks? Is there indications that water's getting in? Um, and and the other wild card is the exposure, um, you know, a a wood frame vinyl sided building in Kansas is very different from a reinforced poured concrete building on the coast in New Jersey or in Florida. Um, you know, the, you're not going to get any sort of salt exposure in Kansas. And if you have a wood building with siding, it's, it's very different than a concrete building on the coast in, in Florida, say, that's constantly exposed to salt air and, and the rebar can corrode and become a progressive problem. So, um, you know, we would we would make an assessment based on those factors in terms of how often the building should be looked at. What What are some of the most important factors to consider when conducting a building facade inspection? Well, we like to do a visual kind of walk through first, uh, talk to the management or, or maintenance people, uh, review any prior inspection reports, documents, history assess the factors that I just talked about. And, um, you know, from there, we would, we would kind of develop a plan of what's next. And, and in some cases that might be nothing, um, you know, it, the visual only might be enough. In other cases, there might be some probing or testing, um, but we, we would develop a plan 
based on those factors, uh, you know, both a time plan and an investigation plan. So you've done the inspection. Now, how do you determine the severity of any damage that may be there that you may uncover? And then how do you prioritize the repairs? So we like to do things in, in phases. As I said, the first step would be that research and, and talk to people and look at the building and, and then kind of decide what's next. And, and, and if there is a next, that generally would be some sort of invasive investigation, whether that be um, up close on scaffolding or from balconies, whether that be probing uh, construction by removing drywall on the inside to see how the walls constructed or bricks on the outside. Uh, these are examples, obviously, there's there's all kinds of materials and types of buildings, but, um, you know, that would be the the next step generally. Um, and, and then uh, prioritizing repairs is is anything that's a danger, obviously, would be first uh, any and, and facades and especially in modern buildings rarely endanger the building itself. Um, you know, what, what happened in Florida very likely was not a facade issue it was it was related to the columns and the pool deck and the the structure of the building itself but buildings like that get damaged to balconies and uh you know you can have chunks of concrete falling off the building uh, you can have balconies that are in danger of collapse balconies or decks where the the balcony itself would collapse but wouldn't endanger the integrity of the entire building so from a facade perspective, anything that's going to present a danger to the public from falling debris, uh, you certainly can have dislodgement of an entire facade. We've seen plenty of uh, brick row houses in, in Jersey City and, and Hoboken and, and in that area. And Philadelphia has a lot of them also where, uh, where the actual brick facade dislodges from the wood because the connection the connections between the wood and brick have either rotted out or there were metal connectors and they rusted out and the whole the whole facade really kind of comes off the building so those kinds of things are obviously first after that it's it becomes budgetary really just a matter of what what is the community able to spend and at what pace and, and a lot of times these repairs get phased where you start with the get the dangerous stuff done immediately or, or put some sort of mitigating measures in to buy some time, and then you can phase out repairs over several years, um, starting with the most severe and working your way down. Uh, the, the problem is a lot of times these, these types of problems are progressive, and the longer you wait, the more extensive the repairs will get and the more they will cost. So you have to factor that in also. Um, you can't necessarily assume if it costs $100, and, and it's purely a round number, cost $100 now, um, you know, that it's going to cost $33 a year for three years. It, you know, between uh, continual, you know, damage getting worse, additional problems occurring, and uh, potential construction cost escalation, which we've seen a lot of lately, um, that could end up costing you $150 over the three years. But, you know, that also allows you to better budget for it and, uh, you know, potentially reduce or avoid assessments and, and maybe do it out of your reserves. So there's pros and cons, but these are the, these are the kinds of discussions we would have in order to determine the prioritization of the repairs. You mentioned, um, you know, material falling from buildings. We've probably all heard the stories of, you know, a pedestrian getting injured, something falls off a high-rise, mid-rise, whatever, in, in an urban setting. How do you ensure the safety, not only of your workers when you're doing the inspection or the repair, 
but also pedestrians on on the sidewalks. So the the, the first uh, first assessment that's always done in these situations is is there an immediate danger of something falling off the building? And if there is, um, you know, generally it depends on the environment the building's in. If if it's if it's a localized spot and the area below it can be shut off to traffic, um, that's an option. But what what usually happens and and the best the best actual protection, but also legal protection for the community would be to put up sidewalk bridging or some sort of temporary shed or something, some sort of temporary measure to protect the pedestrians. So you see this in in um, New York City all the time. I mean, there's blocks you walk down where you're under a sidewalk bridge for the entire block because every building's under construction. So um, that's that's generally the the best action to take to protect protect pedestrians and the safety of workers it's going to depend on the project i mean most um investigations and and repairs uh are done from scaffolding um you know hung off the roof and and then they have their own platform they can go up and down the building they don't have to be going in and out of units and and obviously there's all sorts of uh, safety requirements and osha requirements that that go with that to keep them safe so let's talk about regulations. You mentioned OSHA. What are some of the mandatory regulations and standards in place for facade inspections? Uh, New York City has had uh, local law 11. It's called for for years. Um, you know, tri triggered by uh, things falling off of buildings and and that and people were killed. And that is a mandatory existing building inspection program where if you have a building over a certain height. It needs to be inspected on a certain cycle every couple of years, and, and there's further guidelines on what has to be done as part of that inspection, has to get filed with the city. That was not something that was common in other parts of the country, and also generally building codes and regulations are on, only apply when the building is constructed. There, there historically has not been a lot of regulations and standards requiring structural or electrical or HVAC systems uh, to be inspected after the fact. Um, most of the after the fact inspections are safety kind of things for carbon monoxide and you know hazards and COs and things like that. But uh, there has been a push after after what happened in Florida. Um, South Florida had some of their own regulations on, on these recertification inspections, but now it's expanded and it's statewide. Uh, Jersey City, New Jersey also put a, a facade inspection regulation uh, program in. Cliffside Park, New Jersey did, and the state of New Jersey is looking at doing, doing it for, for the entire state. And I think you're going to see more and more of this. And and New York City also recently put a, a parking garage inspection requirement and similar to the facades, which um, that program is really just getting going. And now I'm assuming with the recent parking garage collapse is going to get a lot more, uh, a lot more attention and get moved along. But but places are going to start seeing um, a lot of regulations mandating after the fact inspections, which is something new for people. Well, once that starts in, in one city, you mentioned New York City's new ordinance is that that tends to spread. So yeah. I, I would expect we'll see more regulations on these topics. How can building owners and managers reduce the risk of facade damage 
and the need for repairs? What type of preventive programs can they put in place? Uh, they they should spend uh, and invest a little bit of money in, in inspections and maintenance. And that is the uh, best thing you can do. If you have some cracks in your building and you caulk them and you keep them tight and sealed and no water gets in, you paid for the caulk and the inspection. Um, if you save the uh, couple thousand dollars on that and um, don't do it, uh, you you might be paying $100,000 later because the, the water got in and caused damage. And again, these are just round numbers for example, but uh, the, the, the best thing you can do is, is have somebody take a look at this stuff and uh, any kind of maintenance that can be done to prevent these problems from getting worse, do it and spend the money on it because it's only going to get worse. So an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Is that the old saying? <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> do, do you find um, uh, building managers and boards are receptive to that? I mean, there is an, obviously an ongoing expense for maintenance. Some people do defer that, but do you, Generally, do you... no. Um, you know, I, I think it's changing a little bit with, with, you know, some of this being mandated now and, and some people wanting to be responsible about it, but um for the most part, and, and and obviously there's exceptions, our experience has been um, this is not something that immediately affects the value of anyone's property in most cases. Uh, it's something that most people don't see. They don't notice. You know, It's not an improvement to the building. It's, um, it's something that they kind of just hope is out of sight and out of mind. And, and when the budget number comes up, um, they generally do everything they can to avoid spending it. And we, I mean, we've seen buildings where, you know, they need all kinds of work and the, rather than trying to solve the problems, they start suing each other as to who's responsible for it and who's paying for it. And it drags on for years. And meanwhile, the problems just keep getting worse and more right. expensive. So um, it's, um, I think it's changing a little bit and, and, and some people it's going to be forced to change by the regulations, but uh, in general, it, it's, it's difficult to tell people they need to spend a lot of money on something that can't see and can't see the value in. Yeah, yeah, that, that's not surprising. Uh, are there some new and innovative uh, technologies being used in facade inspections and repairs? I think the, um, you know, the, there is scanning and testing technology that, you know, some of it's brand new, some of it's somewhat new, but, but the, the big thing right now is drones. Um, it's always been uh, difficult on a, on a high building to, to assess the things up close, usually doing it with binoculars from the street or you're climbing in and out of balconies. Uh, and there's many cases where you'd have to scaffold a building. That was the only reasonable way to get to spots of it. And obviously that adds a tremendous costs. I mean, we've, we've had projects where the scaffolding and staging expenses exceed the construction costs, you know, to actually do the work. So um, drones allow us to look up close at, you know, ten, a spot 10 stories up that looks funny from the street or with binoculars, but we're not quite sure what's going on with it you can now get up close to it with a drone. Um, so I think that's probably the uh, the best thing that's happening right now. It's probably a lot more safer too for the person doing the inspection. <laughs> Correct, yeah, yeah. What should, uh, if, if I was a, a building manager, a property manager, what should I look for when I'm in the process of hiring an engineer to do a facade inspection or repair? Um, generally experience doing that. Um, 
you know, this is not something that they they teach you in engineering school. Uh, you know, engineering school is a lot of math and science and solving problems and how to design things. But, uh, you know, facade inspections, parking garage inspections, th these are these are things that come with experience just to recognize what's a problem, what's not to, oh, I've seen that before. So, um, uh, you know, that's probably the, the single biggest factor would be a, a firm and a inspector that has a, a good amount of experience looking at different kinds of buildings. And is there a typical, um, you know, structure to a facade inspection and repair program? Is it pretty standard? Um, well, we, we like to do it in, in phases and, and I'll go through all the phases. Now, not all of these phases always happen. Um, not all of them always have to happen. Um, sometimes they don't happen because the people don't want to do them. And sometimes they don't happen because they're not necessary. But but the soup to nuts would be, you know, the initial visual walkthrough um, and review of, of whatever paperwork you might have. And then after that, we'd move on to an invasive investigation where we do any probing or scanning or up close type of testing. The next step would generally be design of the repairs. Um, well, after the investigation program, we, we put a report together. I shouldn't skip that. And that can sometimes include some rough construction cost estimates. So the board can uh, make some decisions on, on how, how and when to do this. And then once they do that, we could do drawings and specifications for the repairs. Um, after that, if needed, uh, we could assist the board with sending those drawings out to bid, receiving the bids, checking contractor references, and, and giving the board the information they need to pick a contractor. And then during the construction, we can do construction administration, uh, which generally would entail uh, verifying that the work is done correctly and that the a lot of times this type of work is done on unit pricing because um, repairing concrete and, and some other things is like a cavity. You really don't know the extents of it till you cut out the bad stuff. So you might have a, a repair that's a, a per square foot cost. So um, our job at that point would be to, to verify that the contractor is only repairing what needs to be repaired and then counting up those square feet and authorizing the payment based on the work he actually did. Um, and then making sure that that work is done right. Um, and there's some other things that can be done during closeout, as bill drawings or you know records of the project. But those are generally the phases of a investigation and repair program. Well, Joe, this has been great information. Hopefully, our listeners will uh, gain some good information from this podcast, especially the important issue of preventive maintenance to pr to prevent these issues from happening in the first place. Thank you for joining me today for this episode of Community Matters Podcast. You can find more information about Structural Workshop by visiting their website at www.structuralworkshop.com. Thanks for listening to Community Matters. We're glad to have your attention for a short time. And thanks once more to the sponsor of Community Matters Podcast, Hoffman HOA Law. Find them on the web at hoffmanhoalaw.com. Interested in being a guest on an upcoming episode of Community Matters? Reach out to me at Tony, T-O-N-Y, at caikeystone.org. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you'll get notifications every time we post a new episode. And please share our podcast with your colleagues and friends. For more resources and best practices on managing and governing your condominium, cooperative, or homeowners association, please contact CAI 
or visit our website at www.caikeystone.org. Thanks again for listening.